0: on this Mother's Day weekend. I wanna give a shout out to all the moms listening. We respect you and honor you on this day. I hope you feel the love and appreciation from your family and those for whom you have invested so much. Personally, I, I don't really know of any group of people who pays a higher price of sacrifice and hard work than the typical mom does. So, we honor you on this, your special day. The moms I know are generally one very sharp and highly perceptive group. One popular Mother's Day card reads, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool my mom. (laughs) And many of us had moms just like that. Without you, who knows where we would be. But there is pain that comes with parenting. Both dads and moms are often greatly misunderstood. We discover early as parents, love has to have boundaries and guidelines. Sometimes the love a mom shows has to be tough. So years ago, some anonymous author wrote a tribute to what he or she calls mean Moms, And I'd like to read that to you now. It's always been a favorite of mine. Someday, when my children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates a parent, I will tell them, as my mean mom told me, I loved you enough to ask where you were going, with whom, and what time you would be home. I loved you enough to be silent and let you discover that your best friend was a creep. <laughs> I loved you enough to make you go and pay for the bubble gum that you had taken and to tell the clerk, I stole this yesterday and I wanna pay for it. I loved you enough to let you see anger, disappointment and tears in my eyes. Children must learn that their parents aren't perfect. I loved you enough to let you assume the responsibility for your actions, even when the penalties were so harsh They almost broke my heart. But most of all, I loved you enough to say no when I knew you would hate me for it. Those are the most difficult battles of all. I am glad I won them because in the end, you won too. And someday when your children are old enough to understand the logic that motivates parents, you will tell them, was your mom mean? I know mine was. We had the meanest mother in the whole world. Can you believe it? While other kids ate candy for breakfast, we had to have cereal and eggs and toast. And mother insisted that if we said we would be gone for an hour, we would be gone for an hour or less. We had to wash the dishes and do laundry and empty the trash and all the sort of cruel jobs. I think she would lie awake at night thinking of more things to do to to us. She always insisted on us telling the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And by the time we were teenagers, she would read our minds and had eyes in the back of her head. While everybody else could date when they were 12 or 13, we had to wait until we were 16. Because of our mother, we missed out on lots of things other kids experienced. None of us have ever been caught shoplifting, vandalizing others' property, or ever arrested for any crime, and it was all her fault. Now that we've left home, we are educated, honest adults, and we're doing our best to be mean parents just like mom was. I think what is wrong with the world today, you know, it just doesn't have enough mean moms. I want to put the spotlight today on one particular mom whom we read about in the Bible book called 1 Samuel. If you have a Bible of your own or some device that you read from, find that book if you'd like in the Old Testament called 1 Samuel. You see, the well had gone dry on her parenting for a number of reasons. And as we examine her journey, there's a lot we can learn from her story. First, the well had gone dry on her parenting because she experienced what you might call physical barrenness. I'm going to start reading here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, in verse 1, there was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas The two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. You say, now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Pastor X. What's the deal with this guy having two wives? Well, that was not at all uncommon in those days. And this whole family, when you read the story, is really dysfunctional at this point. You see, they lived in the period of Israel's history called the time of the Judges, the Judges. And you could basically sum up the moral and spiritual climate of that whole period in a statement that's made in the book of Judges, chapter 21. Here's what it says, everyone did as he saw fit. Another translation says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, that's how it was in the time of the Judges. So, Elkanah is a polygamist, although that was never God's intention. But everybody's kind of making up his own rules at this point. And yet, although they are highly dysfunctional, here's what's amazing, this family is still quite religious. They make the religious pilgrimage from their little township to Shiloh to worship God and offer sacrifices. So in spite of their problems, This is a family here that when it it comes to worship, they're really into it. They're being faithful. Elkanah is from the tribe of Levi. That is the priestly tribe in Israel. And to his credit, as a husband and father, he kept going to the place of worship even when everything around him was spiritually corrupt and declining. And as we pick up the story, Hannah was unable to conceive a child. And you need to know, in this culture, there was a huge stigma attached to infertility. For an infertile woman, it it would mean that she would never fulfill her potentially divine calling, which was to be the mother of the Messiah. She would be considered lesser than, if you know what I mean, by many in her own family and in the society. To be infertile in that culture was like the scarlet letter of disgrace. She wore it on her forehead, but instead of an A, it was a big B for barren. Barren. Now, I've talked with numerous women through the years who speak of the painful roller coaster ride of infertility. It's a roller coaster because you feel encouraged. And then your hopes are dashed and you go back and forth and back and forth. Some of you know very, very personally the pain of that journey. Now, as we read on here, we'll see how some of the people in Hannah's life treated her. We're in 1 Samuel now, chapter one, verse four. Whenever the day came for Alcana to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Now, Elkanah is sort of the patron saint of clueless husbands here, all right? Here's Elkanah's problem. Like many of us husbands, he's trying to fix things he can't fix. Currently in our home, Debbie and I have a clothes dryer that is on the blitz. It's it's basically tearing up. It makes these loud noises as it turns and turns. and, And finally, the other day, it just stopped completely. Now, Deb knows something about me after about 30 years of marriage now. She knows I am the world's worst fix-it man, all right? <laughs> she knows that. I just don't have a clue when it comes to fixing things or mechanical stuff. But, but I'm watching Debbie looking at a YouTube video and taking this clothes dryer apart, taking all these screws out, taking the drum out, and it's getting more and more frustrating. So I get this moment of inspiration. Aren't you proud of me? I get all inspired as I'm watching this, and I set my computer and all of my sermon preparation aside for a moment. Now, remember, I'm the world's worst fix-it guy. So I go down in the basement and heroically announce, I'll help. (laughs) and Debbie is trying to look grateful. I I can tell, but what her face is really conveying is fear, fear, because she knows I'm like a kindergartner when it comes to mechanical things, all right? Well, believe it or not, we got that belt that turns the drum back on track. We got it back on track. We put it all back together, and it worked like a charm. Wow, for about two minutes. And then it started sounding like a 747 again. (laughs) My gift of help was well-meaning, but I couldn't fix it. Now, Elkanah's gifts are well-meaning, but he doesn't have a clue. He's trying to give her extra portions of food and physical gifts to make her happier, but her needs are not primarily physical. Her soul is barren too. She has an emotional vacuum of pain that these gifts can never fill. You know, it's so tempting for a husband to try and meet his wife's needs by buying her something or by taking her somewhere. If we just go on a vacation, dear, everything will be all right. If we just buy something new for the house, you'll feel better. And it doesn't actually make it better. It makes it worse for both of them because she she realizes he doesn't understand her need and he really doesn't understand her and that just makes her feel more lonely. I believe there are many husbands listening today and you feel that whatever you do for your wife, whatever you give to your wife, it's never enough. Sir, sir, you are probably speaking in a love language that will never address the real need. This is the situation here in today's story. By the way, I think there are many lessons for families hidden in these verses, in these pages here, if we're just humble enough and open enough to receive them. Well, Elkanah wants to fix it. Hannah doesn't want him to fix it. He can't fix it. He's not infertile. He's already had children through the other wife. It's Hannah who is infertile. But Hannah needs what she really needs from her husband is, is understanding and, and compassion and validation. But instead, he's trying to fix things. He asks, Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And the honest answer to that is no. The answer is no, because it's not about him. And yet his response is making it all about him. This is about her and the fact that the well has gone dry in her life. Now, married people, I've got good news and bad news for you. Here's the bad news. All of you who are married out there, you cannot meet all your partner's needs. That's the bad news. Ready for the good news? Here's the good news, you were never supposed to. And yet most of us live in marriages where we demand of the other person that they be this supreme need meter. And we wonder why we're so unhappy. Please hear me, within a marriage, the husband and the wife find their deepest identity. They find their deepest purpose, their deepest fulfillment, not in their spouse, but in their relationship with God. I hope we understand that. I hope we really get that today. So, so, if your spouse is in a barren place today, I've got radical advice. Don't rescue them. Yes, yes, of course you should be sensitive. Yes, of course you should be loving and prayerful and kind, of course, of course. But what I mean is don't play savior to your spouse. That's what Alcana is trying to do in this passage. And it will never, ever work. There are seasons of barrenness where the well has gone dry on some aspect of life. And your spouse, listen, your spouse needs to walk through that wilderness without you as a crutch. Why? Wilderness is not a horrible place. It's in the wilderness that they're gonna encounter God in a deeper way than they ever have before. So here is Hannah, surrounded by mocking, misjudging people. She's got mean people around her, mocking her, misjudging her, and in that place, she feels bitterness beginning to rise. Let's, Let's look at this text again in verse 10. Look at what it says. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. She wept much and prayed to the Lord. So now you see her physical barrenness has kind of produced a sort of spiritual bitterness. And I believe it's made worse because she's surrounded by all these people who are coming down to Shiloh to worship and celebrate. And you know, you know when you're feeling barren and bitter, it's compounded when the people around you seem to be having such a wonderful time, right? And people in the church or your workplace or maybe even in your family don't understand where you are right now and how much it really hurts. And bitterness is causing Hannah to suffer and it's causing the people around her to suffer. It's a vicious cycle. We can so easily get into this. And the truth is, oh, I know you've heard this before, but it's true, hurting people hurt people. I'm hurt, so I say something that hurts you. Now you're hurt, so you say something back that hurts me even worse. And soon, I'm not responding to the original hurt anymore. No, now I'm responding to the new hurt that you just caused through your words. And on and on the vicious cycle goes. I'm telling you, there's a path out of this. Thank God there's a way out. There's a path out There is hope in this situation and it comes in a very unlikely place. The path out of spiritual bitterness is utter brokenness. Do you know, you ought to look it up sometime in God's word. The Bible says a lot about brokenness. And I've preached on this and studied this passage for many, many years now in ministry. And the reason I conclude that Hannah is truly broken here because if you read this carefully, here's what I see. She kind of shifts her perspective. Read it. I think you'll see. Think of this. She's being mocked and misunderstood and mistreated and misjudged and put down by all these people around her. And eventually her barrenness has led to bitterness. But wisely, she eventually takes her pain. Oh, this is good. This is good. Some of you really need to hear this today. Eventually, she takes her pain to the only one who really, truly understands, God. She's taking her bitterness to God. It's what I would call that secret place with the Lord Almighty. Do you know that place I'm talking about, this secret place? Do you you know this place where it's just... Have you you been there? You and God, intimately, together. Hannah suffers deeply and she takes her suffering to God. She doesn't get herself sorted out and mended up and completely put together first and then present herself to God. No, she does it the right way. She brings all the mess of her life straight to God. Years ago, I came across what someone named the Knots Prayer. No one knows who wrote this. I wish we did. We'd give them credit. The Knots Prayer. I love this. It reads like this. No one knows, no one knows again who originally wrote this, but I, I, I think we all need to pray this from time to time. The Knots Prayer goes, dear God, Please untie the knots that are in my mind. In my heart and in my life. Remove the have-nots and the can-nots and the do-nots I have in my mind. Erase, God, the will-nots, the may-nots, and the might-nots that may find a home in my heart. Release me from the could-nots, the would-nots, and the should-nots that obstruct my life. And most of all, dear God, I ask that you remove from my mind, my heart and my life, all the am that I have allowed to hold me back, especially the thought that I am not good enough. Amen. You may need to pray that prayer today We bring the tangled up knots of our life to God. And we say, God, it's a mess. I don't know how it got like this. I don't know how to sort it all out and make it right. And we give it all over to him. But you have to be broken to do that. It must be a brokenness that is willing to relinquish control of things. And Hannah, I believe, releases all control to the one who is in control. She looks up to God and, and, and this is verse 11 here, if you're following along. And it says, she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. That, that may sound strange to us, but what she's saying there is, is I, 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 he's gonna be like a Nazarite. He's gonna be one of God's elite, You know, most committed people that, like those who take the Nazarite vow. That's what she's referring to. And sometimes when we're in a bitter, broken mess, we need like Hannah to look up and allow the Lord Almighty to give us his perspective. When life was tough for Abraham, when God was lifting his vision and giving him a promise, he said, Abraham, you remember this? Abraham, look at the stars. And when life is tough for me as a pastor and leadership gets really hard and it does, and the heat is on, I go to God in the secret place and I ask for his divine perspective on things. And you know what? He meets me there and he keeps me going and he gives me encouragement. It's like he's saying, Rex, 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 hey, perspective. I called you to this. And because I called you to this, I will sustain you in this and help you to flourish. And I release the church and I release the ministry and I release my very life I release it all to God again because it all belongs to Him anyway. Hannah's pouring out her soul's grief and anguish to God and releasing it all to Him again. And in in verses 17 through 20, this is what we read. Eli answered, he's observing all this. He says, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshiped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, Samuel, saying, because I ask the Lord for him. Friends, there is tremendous power in relinquishment, in letting go and not clutching tightly to the things God entrusts to us. Did you know, did did you know you can do that at even a very young age? Young people, you can release to God your future, even at a very young, young age. All those things you really want to control and micromanage, you can release to God. You can say, God, I let go of that person I feel I should marry, that job I've, decided I'd like the most, that, that career path and that trajectory, i let it go and I relinquish it to you. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given your whole life over to God and say, all that I am, all that I'm not, all that my future may hold, I give it all to you. That's what Hannah did. And once Hannah has let go, although she is technically still barren, and her prayer has not yet been answered, her countenance has already changed. I love that statement. Her face is no longer downcast, the scripture says. She has peace and joy, not because God has answered her prayer, but because God has heard her prayer. And that's enough. She's encountered God for herself in the secret place. She's released her hopes, her dreams, her desires. She's released it all to God, entrusting her entire future to him. And now, finally, after experiencing barrenness and bitterness and brokenness, she's finally at a place of overwhelming blessedness. There's only one place to go with all your anxiety, friends, and that's to God. Whether you're a mom, a dad, a child, a teacher, a preacher, it doesn't matter who you are. The psalmist said in Psalm 73: when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And for us, the sanctuary. The equivalent of that to the psalmist would be not a building. It's that intimate relationship with God. Just you and him where all has been surrendered in a trusting relationship. Come to me, Jesus said. All you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me. He is the burden bearer. We try to carry our own burdens, but Jesus said, bring them Bring them to me, stop trying to do all that yourself. Bring the burden to me. The burden is still there. The outcome to the problem still needs to be worked out, but now he's carrying it. And I'm not bearing that burden anymore. And Hannah's heart is now at rest. Whatever the outcome may end up being, her heart is at rest. Hannah is not a woman of faith because God answered her prayers. Listen, she's a woman of faith because she knew where to go in prayer. And she calls her son Samuel, Samuel, because El in Hebrew, El is El Shaddai. El is the almighty God. El, the word for God, is the one who gave him to her. Everything about Samuel is simply because I asked God for him. She understands that, and that's why in verse 20, she said, because I asked the Lord for him. Now, through the years, I've thought a lot about Hannah's story, and I've concluded in a sense, you can sum up the brilliance of her life in one word, surrender. My guess is that's not a popular word with most of us, but when you're talking about a relationship with God, surrender is a wonderful word. The key through barrenness and bitterness and brokenness is surrender to God. May we pray. Father, many listening right now may be in a very barren place, oh, not just physical infertility, but all kinds of barrenness of soul. Father, for some listing right now, that may have parlayed into bitterness. Bitterness may have taken root. Father, I pray if that's the case, whatever the situation, you would bring us to a place of true, utter brokenness before you. Because you say in your word that brokenness is a blessed place to be. It's through brokenness when we come to the end of ourselves and the end of our resources that we truly take hold of you in the secret place and we clutch onto you and we give up control and we invite you to be our burden bearer. And I pray that today. Oh God, may we not remain in barrenness and bitterness. May we go through brokenness to a place of overwhelming blessing. And that's my prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.